0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy met, and uh, I have the privilege of being the best husband that Fiona has ever had, and, uh, and, and the dad to this little uh, red-headed munchkin at the front called Olivia Grace, and uh, such a privilege to be a pastor here at Life Changes as well. It's really good to have you all here this morning, really, really exciting. We have started a new series, a brand new series last week called The Advancing Gospel, and uh, this series basically is emphasizing and bringing clarity to the heart of our church, to the heart of those who follow Christ, and ultimately to the heart of God for humanity. And uh, for us, those three, the words that have encapsulated who we are and who God is calling us to be, are, are, are those three words there. It's reach far, raise up, release wide. Can you say it with me quickly? One, two, three. One, two, three brilliant. And to help you remember, we've got a free gift we'd love to give you. So Casey and the team, why do not you on out there, Marlies? We've got a little, uh, a little thing to give you. It will fit around your wrist, or if you've got a really small head, you can try and put it around your head, but you might need some Mypredil to help with that afterwards. So I suggest it the wrist for now. But that's just a little gift from us to you to help you remember. These are key things of who we are. Last week, Mark Van Pletsen was here, and then and, and he kicked off the series, leading us into this thing of reaching far, And saying that this is the very heart of God, a heart of God that reaches far for humanity. And he said a few phrases that have just captured us. And I don't know if you remember, if you were here. He said things like this. We give up things we love for the things that he loves, meaning God, the things that God loves more. That we are people that, that talk about things that we say, it's not what it costs, but it's what it's worth. He used a story, I don't know if you remember, the FIFA World Cup got interrupted and upstaged by 12 young Taiwanese boys who were part of a soccer team who had gone cave exploring and had been trapped for, for a number of days, weeks, um, four kilometers underground. They got trapped underneath there. And the whole world watched as, as then millions upon millions, Elon Musk got involved and the whole, everyone got involved. And even one life was, was given up. Was, or somebody died in this attempt to rescue these 12 boys. And nobody at any stage said, that's way too much money to spend. Nobody did that. Because actually it's not what it costs, it's what it's worth. And we're saying when we look at the heart of Jesus, we see the heart of the Father, that that God so loved the world that He gave not His leftovers, not what He could spare on the side, not... "Mm." Can, do they come in blonde? Then I'll, then I'll invest. No, no, no. God gave his one and only son, his very best, to a humanity was dark, broken. The scripture says they were enemies of him. He gave his the very best. And we're saying we want to be a church that has the response, we said last week, the only response to a cross that has arms wide open like this and exposed is to be a church that takes our T-Rex little arms and allows God to expand it and say, we're not going to protect ourselves. We're not going to protect our little patch and about what is our comfort. We're going to be a people on the mission of Jesus. If he came to seek and save that which is lost, how can we not be about anything else? So that's the first part of who we are, is the people that reach far. This morning I'm going to preach on the second one, which is raise up, the second element of this, this, what God is calling us to. So I'm going to ask you as a good people this morning, could we raise up? Uh, literally rise up, and uh, we're going we're gonna to preach and read some scripture together. And as we read scripture, I pray that we lean in together and participate in what God's doing. So it'll be on the screen together. Why don't we read all together? So if you, if you can see it, let's read Matthew 4, 18, 20, 1, 2, 3. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishes of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Father, this morning I thank you. That because of you, our futures are greater than our pasts. I thank you that you have more than just the status quo for each and every one of us. This morning, would you encourage those who feel hidden or forgotten? Would you cover and love those who feel exposed and ashamed? And would you pursue those who feel far and disconnected? And would your word awaken every heart here to the fullness of life that is in you? I thank you, Father God, as well for the Springboks' victory over Argentina. That was a divine encounter. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seats? Say hi to someone as you sit down. Hello, Olivia Grace. As I've said many times, um, I met my beautiful wife Fiona in in church. A great place if you're single to meet somebody in church. And uh, as I saw her, uh, I, I kid you not, it was like scales fell off my eyes. I saw her. I fell head first in love with her. And uh, I, was, I was, as I saw it, it was almost like everything went for hazy, uh, as it does in the movies. And I started to hear the soundtrack. Why do birds suddenly appear every time you draw near? And I started to, I just went into the future. I started to picture our six wild red-headed children. I'm just prophesying, six, yeah, I'm just prophesying, more Lord, and uh, I pictured, you know, our our beach house, and I pictured me riding a a bareback on a horse with my children following me, all of us wearing factor 50 sunblock, of course, Um, but uh, I, I, you know, I just, I was there, I pictured this future with this woman, I was like, I'm in, I'm one of those weird guys, I saw her, and I was like, I would love to marry that girl, obviously, she needed some convincing um, of this uh, beautiful future. But, uh, what lay bef- between my incredible ideal- idealized version of a future and the present reality of the fact that I had never actually spoken to her lay this, uh, this one thing that had to get us going, that I had to do something to get her attention. And, uh, because I'm a pastor and I'm connected to some people, I managed to get her number without being weird. It's just, it's just a, it's a it's so a perk of the trade, perk of the trade. And uh, as I got a number, I remember sitting and analyzing, what do I say in that first WhatsApp? You only get one one go at that, that first WhatsApp. You've got to make sure it's good. So I remember I thought, what do we go with? Hi, Fiona. No, no, it's too formal. Hey there. No, it's just a bit weird. Hello, Fiona. It, it was tricky. Which, which, which tone to go with, you know? And as I wrote it out, I was like, Gabe, sparingly on the emoticons, don't go too excited. Just l- just one emoticon per WhatsApp, just as a general rule, if you're taking notes. One's enough. Too many exclamation marks makes you sound like a stalker, so just be careful. You know, so I just analyze this, ask a friend, tell me, read it back to me. Uh, does it sound too friendly? Does it sound too familiar? Does it sound too formal? What, you know, you analyze that. You've only got one go at this. And then I remember I wrote it out. I had it ready. And you were waiting, should I press send, should I press send? And, and I delayed for a bit, think it through, you know, put aside, you know, prayed over it, pled the blood over that phone, I just said, Jesus, this is your phone, would you just, you know, I just started, just whatever I could, just this was exciting moments. And I left it for a while, and at the end of the time, I, as, as any good farmer would do, when the, when the crop, when the harvest is uncertain, when the future is uncertain, it still demands a response. In that moment, I decided, you know what? To heck with it. I'm going to sow the seed and send that WhatsApp. And I pressed send. And I stood back. Sent. Gone. And then I waited. Uh, this is no rebuke of Fiona, but I waited. And I waited some more. And day turned to night. And I m- remember sending a message to another friend saying, is my phone working? And they replied back, yes. It's like, no. Because why is she not replying? And I looked the next morning and the two ticks had turned blue still no reply. It says, why do you do this to us? Woman, why would you do this to us? And my heart is like, "Ah, oh, what do I do? And after a long time of waiting and waiting, I, I suddenly looked again at my phone and I saw the three most favorite words that a ginger could ever see on his phone. Fiona is typing. <sighs> I want to tell you this morning, Uh, That's a long-winded way for me to get to what I'm trying to say here is that I want to tell you something that all farmers know, something that all investors know, something that all parents know, and that's something gingers who are desperate for a girl like Fiona to like them know, is that for something to grow, you have to sow. For something to grow, you have to sow. And I want to tell you that God's heart is for you and I to grow. For our heart, God's heart for humanity, for us to grow, to become more like Him, to become more like who He has called us to be. He is more obsessed with our future than our past. God is calling us to grow, but it demands something of you and I. And I want to say this morning, three postures that I want to give us from this text. As we get ready to grow, as we get ready to sow, Three postures we have to take if we're going to sow, grow, and be raised up into all God has for us. You okay for that? Can you say to me, can you turn to someone next to you and say, it's time to grow. Come on. Tell them it's time to grow. and Tell them it's time to sow. We're preaching together this morning. We're wanting to grow. So three points out of the text that I read as we read together this morning. Number one from the scriptures, there's three postures that we need to take. Number one is lean in. If you're wanting to grow, if you're ready to sow, you have to lean in. The first word out of Jesus' mouth, God incarnate in flesh as he walks the beach. The first word that he speaks to a bunch of uh, disciples, future disciples who were just fishermen at this time, who were young boys, some scholars tell us. Uh, the first word out of his mouth was not, where have you been? First word out of his mouth was not as he's trying to form this spiritual version of the Avengers who will take us church forward. The first word out of his mouth is not, can I see your spiritual CV, boys? The first word out of his mouth is not even, how long has it been since your last sin? No, the first word out of Jesus' mouth is, come. Yeah. Come. I tell you, he walks past the unlikely, he walks past the excluded and the seemingly disqualified and says, Come. I love this. The first words out of Jesus' mouth on the beach, these guys, is an invitation to lean in and press into the source of life. From the word go, he removes all restrictions and all excuses. He doesn't give them any opportunity to give their little say. He says, come. Because we know that God is not looking for the qualified. He's looking for the available and the willing. not his eyes aren't roaming to and fro. Those who measure up to a standard, these eyes are looking for who is available and who is willing. This is the heart of God. And I want to tell you, those boys in that moment had the option to either lean into their disqualification because they were doing their dad's trade. That means they had not measured up in the academic standards of the day to become disciples of a rabbi. They were just those who had fallen along the wayside. So they had this opportunity as, as a rabbi walks past and says, come. They either could have gone, "Ah, I'm going to lean into my disqualification, lean into where I am, or I can lean into where you're calling me to be. You see, I, I often say it and I hear it too often from people, people saying, you know what, I'm just in a season of waiting for my breakthrough. Sounds spiritual. I'm waiting for when then I'll press into God more, then I'll pursue Jesus more. You know, then I'll really be freed up when I've overcome that sin. When I've overcome that sickness, when they start to but we know spiritual people, they really do, yeah? Overcome that sin, that sickness. Finances, when finances come right, when, when the job starts to really give me some, let me leave the office before 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the night, when, when, when I get more time on my hands, then when I get my breakthrough, I am so pleased today that I get to come and declare to every single heart today that breakthrough has happened and His name is Jesus. Breakthrough is not a seasonal moment, it's a person named Jesus. Because in in the New Testament Christianity, we believe that Jesus is the answer to every question. And he broke through 2,000 years ago. He broke through and declared. One man went through and said, open gates. And from that moment, all of heaven has said, come all who are thirsty. And qualified all those who would have been pushed aside and cast out. He says, come. I want to tell you the incredible thing is Jesus was actually echoing the heartbeat of God since millennia past. Because actually if you turn your Bible to the first page of the Bible called Genesis, the book of Genesis, which is known as the book of beginnings. One Jewish scholar called it the book that sows seeds, interesting enough. But that book, it starts off not with uh, uh, the first page of a list of morals to keep up or a list of this is what we're going to do. There's the, the contractual agreement between heaven and earth. No, the first scene of humanity, me, humanity meeting heaven is of God the Father, the creator of all things, Yahweh, the almighty, leaning in, getting down low on his knees, getting down on his hands and feet and blowing life into a creature called Adam formed out of the dust and breathing intimately his life into him. The first face Adam sees, (gasps) is not of a teacher, it's not of a a, a strict ruler or even of a king far off, it's of a God breathing life saying, come alive. This is the call of the gospel. And I want to tell you this morning that maturity isn't doing time in church. You can say, I've been in church my whole life. That means nothing in the call of the gospel. I can tell you growth doesn't happen by just being around church. He has the understanding. This is for my own heart, and I pray it's good for you as well. But quit blaming the soil for your lack of growth and start sowing some seeds. Too many people are blaming the soil. My season. You know, I just, I'm not growing because of the season I'm in. My boss. My family situation. My leaders aren't opening doors for me. That's why I'm not growing. My failures. You know, just the, the past is too big. I need to get through this, this tough time. Can I tell you, quit blaming the soil and start sowing some seeds. Because here at Life Changes, discipleship starts not with a program, a course, or a trek, but begins by calling you and I to lean into Jesus. The way that he started is the way we started. If you're saying, how do I start? To... Come, follow me. He says, lean into me. You see, I love this because we believe that intimacy with Jesus leads to influence. If you want to influence and authority, there's no other way in Scripture except for intimacy with Him. There's no shortcut. Intimacy leads to influence. So much so, we see these young boys on the beachfront who, have, who respond to this call. And a few pages forward in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4 opens up with the religious leaders and the, the leaders of society of the day infuriated with these same young men. Because they're saying, who are these guys who's turning our city upside down? And they said they were marveled at them because they said, we can't understand them. They said, why? Because they are ordinary. They are unschooled men. They said, but they've been with Jesus. I love that. I love that phrase because it's got so deep in who I am. And this is not false humility, but I believe I'm a very ordinary, unschooled man. When I came into eldership at the age of 22... Don't know what they were thinking at the time. But I came with Elisabeth, 22 of the life changes. Wally Gersmeyer said, I see a future that you don't even see yet. I believe that you're going to be called. I believe God's got something for you. And he called me into it. And I thought the people would stand up and applaud. Just slow-cap, Gabe, you are amazing. They didn't respond like that, unfortunately. Let me not be be rude, because a lot of people were very encouraging. It's an amazing, kind, faithful church, an encouraging church. But there were few, and maybe the enemy sometimes often highlights the voices that we shouldn't be listening to. And the voices of of some naysayers says, who is this guy? He's got no life experience. He's got no wife. What is is he going to be doing in leading in in this church? Who is he? And some people left the church. Some people actually said, we we, we can't, and they stepped out of that environment. And and all I heard was out of their lips the words that came, and just seemed to stick in my spirit for a long time, was, he's unqualified. Because I, I was very ordinary, I was young, and I'd never been to Bible college either. So in this moment, I remember I was supposed to preach the next week, and this news had gone out and hadn't been received so well. And I'm going down to preach the next week. I'm sitting there going, you know what I'm going to do this week? I'm going to find some Greek and Hebrew words and throw those in the sermon because that always impresses people. And then I'll throw in a couple of quotes by C.S. Lewis and Spurgeon. And even a go, let's go a little bit of reform and get Martin Luther in on this thing because then they'll really know that I mean business, that I'm no joke. Remember, you start thinking about those things. And I remember, thank God for God that I've read the word and sowed seeds of his word. Because in that moment, it leapt up in my heart, God saying this. And I remember Jesus said to me this in a a a quiet way in a car one day outside a garage. He said, Gabe, you are ordinary. And I thought, thank you, Lord. (laughs) He said, Gabe, you are, yeah, you're unschooled. I was like, yep, this is not going as well as I thought. Lord, you're supposed to be encouraging me. But then he said, but Gabe, you've been with me. You know me. And I call, if I called you, you're going to go there. Can I tell you something? This is the amazing, incredible thing for you and I for this morning. I want to encourage you. If you're ordinary, if you're unschooled, I tell you, he has an invitation. You can still have influence beyond you that you could ever imagine if you pick up the call of lean into Jesus. Lean into Jesus. Because ordinary, unschooled men are the people who change the world if they've been with Jesus. Because I say this, when I've laid hands on sick people and see them get better, it wasn't because of my skill or study. I promise you that. When I have preached and people come into freedom, it's not because of my oratory gift. I promise you it's because I've been with Jesus. Here is the understanding today. If you're ordinary, you're unschooled, there's future for you and I. But if you want influence and authority, I encourage you sow the seed, lean wholeheartedly into Jesus. So you want to know how this plays out? Every Sunday when we come to worship and sing songs of worship, and we don't really feel like it, but we feel like, I really feel I've messed up, but today I'm going to lift my hands, today I'm going to press into Him. You are sowing seeds, sir, ma'am. You are sowing seed for a future. Can I tell you, when you get up in the morning and everything inside of you wants to stay in the warm bed because it's too cold to get out of bed, but you're going to get out in the dark and you're going to open the scriptures and you're going to go, no one's ever going to know I've done this. No one's ever going to ask me even today what I read in the Bible, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to seek God. You are sowing seed, sir, ma'am. Can I tell you, when you have got anxiety and panic attacks, and instead of turning to the usual place sources of that will bring calm and relief, you turn and say, Father, would you help me? And you pray little silent prayers that say, Jesus, help me in this moment. As you resist temptation by leaning into him instead of going to temptation. You were sowing seeds for influence and authority that you will never ever believe would have been possible. Lean into him. Second point this morning is not only lean in, he says step out. Jesus says come follow me. I love that because when a rabbi comes and says follow me he wasn't coming giving a spiritual save the date. At your convenience, boys. He wasn't coming and giving the equivalent of a, a spiritual Facebook poke. No, that really just, you can, you can ignore. Just that weird thing. I don't actually have to reply to it. What do I do with that? No, no. When Jesus says, come follow me, it wasn't like a suggestion. It was him calling them out and demanding a future that was bigger for them. I said it this morning at Tableview because it just felt so real that actually Jesus is obsessed with your future, not your past. So much so is that he'll always call you to it. Let me say that again. He's so obsessed with your future that he'll never call you back to where have you been? What have you done? But he will call you to the future. He'll always call you to a next step. Where are you going? What step are you taking in faith? Because this is who he is. So can I tell you, I love about this is the disciples, their response wasn't, mm, interesting thesis you throw at us. Come follow me, Jesus. Let's talk. We're going to talk about it as a gang. I'm going to speak some time with my dad. We'll get back to you in two weeks. No, scripture tells us immediately they left their nets their livelihood and followed him. So three things very quickly about obedience that I'm learning from the scripture. Number one, it's on the screen now, is true obedience is immediate. I want to ask you this question. How long is the delay before you obey? You want to measure how your maturity is doing, how your growth is doing in Jesus, how long is the delay before you obey? For them, it was immediate. Let me give you an illustration. There's somebody I know, I'll mention no names, and I'll mention no, no names in the story, but it's just a hypothetical situation. There's this wife, and there's this husband, and the wife on a Tuesday night will say, love, why don't you put the bins out now, because the rubbish guys will be coming across early. And then the husband says, I will do love, and then changes the channel. Thinks about it and then goes to sleep. Hypothetical situation. No one, no names mentioned. Just the hypothetical situation. The next morning, as the husband wakes up in the in the warm bed, and then goes, "Oh, Wednesday morning. I really should go get that rubbish bin out." Ooh, it's warm in here. It's nice. And then he has that truck noise coming down. Beep, beep, beep. Fear gripping, and the wife is still asleep. We've got it. We're on time. Mission Impossible music music k- kicks in. Dun dun. She mustn't know I didn't do it last night. Leopard crawl out the room. This is hypothetical. I don't know why I said I there. This is for somebody else. I don't know. And, and, and leaping out, trying to turn the alarm off, silently, sneak out. And because you're being so sneaky, you get then as you put the bin out, you see the truck go past. And you're debating. Do I scream? But then I wake up the wife. Hypothetical as well. Um, and you debate this moment. You go, you know what? Do I take the trash and put it in the neighbor's bin? And they'll never know. Just hypothetical. Again, this is not me or anyone here. Hypothetical. And eventually you leave it there. You're going, next week's problem. And you sneak back into bed, and, and, and then the wife says, did you put the bed out, love? I put it out. <laughs> Let me tell you, delayed obedience is disobedience. Can I tell you, we experts at this. I know my own heart. We get stirred, but we say, you know what? I'll give when I get the salary increase. I'll confess next time. I'll step out in faith and share my faith with that person at a more opportune moment. How long is the delay before you obey? Secondly, about obedience, is true obedience is complete. Too often I say these things like this: "I'll obey, but only halfway." No, they, they were completely, they left their nets complete. A friend of mine came to me the other day and he said, Gabe, and it was beautiful. He said, hey, I've been battling with pornography addiction. I said, that's incredible that you would confess. Well done for stepping out in faith. And he says, I'll do anything for freedom. I said, wonderful. Well done, man. It's so exciting. You've stepped out. W- tell me about this problem. No, it's every time I go on my phone, you know, that's the problem. My smartphone, because, oh, really, it's, just, it's a problem for me. That's when I'm alone with my smartphone. So I said, here's an idea. You want freedom. Yeah. Why don't you sell your phone? and buy a cheaper Nokia 3310 brick. It's got snakes too still, so it's still quite cool. But it does not have internet capability, so you can still send SMSs and, and, and phone calls, but then you won't have that temptation. <sighs> I couldn't do that, eh? It's a bit extreme. Oh, okay, cool. Let me tell you this. Obedience doesn't look for the loophole. It doesn't look for the technicality. It doesn't start reading in different versions of Scripture so I can justify my disobedience. Jesus doesn't come with two, three different versions. He doesn't say, hi guys, follow me in the NIV says this. Follow me in the NLT says this. Follow me in the original Greek means this. So you choose which one you like. No, he just says, follow me. Demands a response. Finally, I tell you, obedience not only is immediate, it's complete, but it's also costly. I've said this stuff. I'll obey as long as there's little price to pay. I tell you, I, I... I love it. I've prayed these prayers and I've heard people they go like this. I've done it. God use me. Three weeks later. I think I might leave the church because I'm feeling used. Say, Father, use me as a bridge for your gospel. Just, I feel like people are walking all over me. You, you know what? We we pray these prayers, but then when God starts to use us in those areas or starts to it will cost you. It will inconvenience you. Obedience is never just something. Obedience will never be obedience if it didn't demand something of us. Bill Johnson says it this way. He says, I hesitate to warn of the cost of fully seeking his face, not because a price doesn't exist. It costs everything. I hesitate because the reality is that what a person gets in return makes the price we pay embarrassingly small by comparison. That's the gist of him going, obedience is immediate, it's complete, it's costly. But here's the great news, is obedience always leads to future. Let me say it this way, you have no idea what God can set into motion through one simple act of obedience. You have no idea, sir, ma'am, what God can set into motion through one simple act of obedience. By faith, Hebrews 11, 8 tells us, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed God and left the land that he was in to go to a land that he was not sure of, Because he knew God had his future. Abraham left that land with no future as Abraham, but he returned to the land that God was taking him. By faith he obeyed, became Abraham, father of many nations. Obedience always leads to future. Bigger than you could manufacture on your own. I share this many times, but uh, years ago, I was a young teenager, racked with insecurity, racked with pornography addiction, got to a place where I was calling, God, I want a future in you. I want a big future in you. I want to do big things for you. And I was hoping God would respond with a power encounter. Boom, let the body hit the floor. And I'd get up and I'd go, I'm free from all sin. I wish that happened. I wish I could come around and anoint you with holy oil, and you'll never, ever struggle with sin again. Or you'll struggle with temptation. Or you'll struggle with insecurity. But Jesus responded to me with this call. I want a big future by saying, follow me. And then I had to follow him. And that for me in that moment was I had to confess. I had to bring in the light. And I had no guarantee that people would treat me the same. I had no guarantee that actually ministry opportunities would be closed up. I had no guarantee that I would have anything. But that's why it's a seed of faith obedience sown in faith knowing that it's going in the soil and knowing that god i trust you that you'll bring a harvest that's bigger than i could ever manufacture you have no idea what one act of obedience will lead to i thank god for the friends that shared their faith with my wife fiona on a school field in Neisner. I thank God that they were there in wrestling, probably going, oh, will she still like us? Oh, this is awkward. Should we share it now? Ah, this is, we're just at break time at school. Let's wait for a time when there's a keyboard in the background. Ah, this is not really spiritual. But I thank God that somebody had the courage to be obedient to God and share their faith with her because because of her, my life has been uh, affected. My daughter's life has been affected. Our church's life, our family lives are different because of a friend who shared the gospel. On the other side of your obedience, God says there's future. Finally this morning, not only do we need to lean in, not only do we need to step up, but we have to raise up. I love how Jesus, from the word go, he gives us a process of maturity and of growth and future. He says, come follow me and I'll make you fishes of men. Most Christians love, don't mind the come follow me. But that's it, because it ends with me. From the word go, Jesus says it's not all about you. I don't know if you've seen it, you've seen some you've got a kid's party and there's little kids splashing in the kiddie pool. It's cute. It's ankle deep and like, wow, oh, it's so cute, man. Just imagine that scene now with a hairy forty five year old man and a speedo coming and getting in that same kiddie pool. It's weird and it's horrifying. Here's the thing, that actually God has called us not to stay small. He's called us to grow, and He's given us a bigger field. He wants futures because He wants us to have a, a space. Hairy men and kiddie pools is weird when they were created to swim in the ocean. You and I were created for bigness, so much so, that now as, as, as a new, new parent of a little little baby, Olivia, my life, it's fairness, it's naturalness, good for our lives, you and I, to revolve most of our life around her. It's It's good. Because when she cries, we need to be attentive. Something might be wrong. We need to, you know, we orientate our day around her feeding schedule, her nap schedule, because that's the season we're in. The problem is, is if Olivia is like that when she's a teenager, then there's a problem in the maturity journey. As a a teenager, yes, there's going to be moments where we're going to change our schedule to be at a dance recital, at a sports game, at something. We're going to inconvenience ourselves, yes, still. But actually, we're still going to place some demands on her now. Olivia, you're going to lay the table. Olivia, you're going, to give, you're going to go to bed early and give mom and dad time. Just, just some planning ahead, yeah? You know, there's some demands on her to be a contributor. Here's the thing my job as a parent is only complete when she becomes a parent herself, and she herself will inconvenience herself for the sake of the next generation. Let me tell you, I think too often we become so self obsessed. Uh, and I want to tell you today that true depth and growth. Is measured not what happens here in a church meeting, but it happens what happens out there in your life, in your families, in your business, your places of influence. How do I know this? In Ezekiel chapter 47, we have been taught this recently, that there's a river that flows from the throne of grace. It starts off as a trickle, and as, as, as Ezekiel is taken out by the angel of the Lord, he gets taken out little bit by little bit by little bit. It says the water gets deeper and deeper the further out he goes. Away from the throne of grace. Now, don't want to read too much into it, but I think too often we go, "How how deep is your church?" Like, what's the depth of it? We go, "Ooh, Sundays are deep." You know, we like worship for like three hours, and like there's boom, there's glory clouds, and it's wonderful, awesome. We want that. We want the more of God. But actually, true depth is not measured by a form of the deep teaching you get on a Sunday. We want to measure, we want to teach well. We want to do it. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But true maturity is not what we do in here. It's actually how that affects us to walk it out in the world. You can be lying on the floor. You can be encountering God here. But if you're not sowing into other people's lives, I beg, according to Jesus' standard, you're falling short of the maturity journey. Because he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, not sitters in pews. There's no pews here. I should have said plastic chairs. would have been a. Culturally acceptable. But I want to tell you this as I land. Maturity is shown when you're sowing into the soil of other people's lives. Let me tell you quick few stories. There's a lady called Mary Yeager, Milton girl who leads our life kids. And she most Sundays she misses the worship, she misses the preaching because she's serving in the kids, serving people's children. She goes we go up to the call conference in Pretoria, and I go, Oh, thank goodness, the time I don't have to prep, I don't have to be on my game, I can just worship and receive. Where's Mary? She signed up to volunteer and serve the kids in Pretoria, and I'm like, Mary, I said, Mary, don't you miss being in the sermons? Don't you miss those? She goes, Gabe, I'm going to listen to him on the internet afterwards. I'm going to, I'm going to receive on those moments. She says, I get to invest in the future now. Wow, I'm like, Mary, you should lead this church. There we are. Another man named A.J. Nolan in this church as well. Can I tell you, his mid-twenties, the years when other guys are going, hey, all my spare cash, all my spare money, my spare time is going to go, jolling, because this is my time to joel. A.J. Nolan spent most Friday nights filling his car with teenagers to take them to youth, and then afterwards filling his car again and paying his petrol and emptying his, his gas tank to take them all the way around table to take them home. I tell you, there's a man there who is investing and sowing seeds into the soil of the future generation i tell you about another lady called Jeannie George here in this local church. Amazing lady who has gone through a lot of trial and tough times with her husband's health and situations. But most, most weeks she's opening a home up to host a life group. When everything, she's done this for years and she could have said, actually, no, it's my time to receive now. She still opens her home. Can I tell you, yesterday she had a baby shower at her home for somebody not her age, somebody not her, her like the best mates in the world. But she goes, actually, she, no, they're good mates, good mates. But she goes, actually, it's worthwhile for me. I tell you, Jeannie is a hero to me because she is somebody who sees my home is not for my comforts, it's for the gospel. There's maturity there. Somebody's growing. I land by by wanting to thank God for three people in my life. When I was grade five, I was in, a, in Zimbabwe, went to children's church every week, kicking and screaming, but there was a man named Jed Deblon who used to, who was cool, and he taught me about Jesus. I didn't respond extravagantly at first, but I just went in, went in, went in. After grade 7 and the day, first day of grade 8 going into high school, all-boys school, 1,500 kids, I was stressed. I was nervous. And this man, Jed, had moved to England. Hadn't heard from him for two years, but I get a phone call that morning saying, Hi, it's Jed, Gabe. Just want to tell you, I'm phoning you and a couple of other guys I've been teaching. I want to tell you, you guys have got the call of God in you. Don't be intimidated by the school you're going. And he just poured courage into a young man's heart that was frail and fickle. And I was just so buoyant and buoyant and up because a man would remember me. He'll call me to big. I'm so grateful for Jed Deblon who sowed seeds, even though he'll never have a part in the harvest. I tell you, a man named Michael Silias arrived in Durban as a 15-year-old, insecure, addicted, struggling, didn't know where I was going to turn for friends. I arrived at a youth group, and a man named Michael Silias, who was four years my senior, who could have been doing many other things with his time and money. He came, he found out, and I had no friends. He said, what are your hobbies? I said, golf. And he said, me too. I found out later he was lying. He went, left that meeting, went and bought golf clubs would drive and pick me up from my house, which is on the other side of the town from me, most weekends, and we'll go play golf. I quickly learned he was lying when I saw the state of his golf. But we became friends. And that man introduced me to community. And actually, through that man, I met Jesus Christ at that youth for myself in reality. I tell you, I thank God for that man, that he was sowing seeds into other people's soil that maybe wouldn't be his future, but he was investing in mine. When I tell you, when I was about to come here to to, uh, Cape Town to come and be a part of this church, leave my family. I was nervous. I was insecure going, God, is this really what you've called me to do? A man phoned me and said, Gabe, we want to come before you go. We so believe in your future. We know we won't be able to be there to support you, cheer you on, but we believe in your future. We've got a gift to give you. They arrived at my house, and they came, and they said, here. And they gave me keys and said, that car is yours. And they gave me a car. And I had got the privilege of driving that car down here and it was the first car I'd ever owned. I never thought I'd ever own a car. I never thought i even, I thought I'd be on a bicycle for until I was 30, you know. And uh, when I saw this car, this was a family who would give up their convenience, give up what is easy for them. They would actually go down from two cars to one car for the sake of a guy who they believed in who was moving to Cape Town. They were sowing seeds into my future. Yeah. Can I tell you, I thank God for those men because you'll never hear any of those men preach a sermon. You will never hear anything and preach a sermon, but I tell you, their lives, what they invest in me is preach bigger sermons than you'll ever imagine. It put courage and confidence where I needed it. And I pray, would we be a church who would do that, who would grow up and raise up to maturity, that we will become fishers of men investing in the soil of other people's lives. So this morning, can we stand to our feet? I'd love to pray.